0: Greetings, everyone. I'm Rev. Liz Testa, and this is Lavish Hope, Stories of Resilience and Overcoming. I'm excited for you to hear this latest episode with Jill English, a writer and regular contributor to Red Tent Living, Director of Admissions at Western Theological Seminary, a mentor, and a devoted mother and grandmother. Jill has spent 15 years working in admissions, connecting the dots of interests and gifts for those considering a vocation in ministry. Her life has included marriage and becoming single again, nurturing two daughters to beautiful adulthood, completing a graduate degree in her 50s, as well as a season of cancer. Through it all, Jill has become convinced that adaptability and resilience are the primary keys to growth and healing, to leadership, to the facilitation of change, and toward imagining what God is up to in the world. In this episode, Jill and I chat about how her maternal ancestors inspire and strengthen her, how writing is a wonderful vehicle for gaining perspective over one's life, and the powerful value in balancing tragedy with humor, honesty and vulnerability with stoicism. I can't wait for you to listen in and see how her well-honed resiliency practices might stir new ideas for your own journey. Hello and welcome to Lavish Hope. I'm Liz Testa here today with our guest, Jill English. Jill, it's so good to have you with us. Welcome, welcome. Thank you. It's such a pleasure to be here. I'm
1: really grateful.
0: Well, we're so excited to hear your um, stories of hope, resilience and overcoming. So let's jump right in. And I'm um, wondering if you can share for our listeners what resilience means to you and how you've been shaped by it, how it's been shaped your
1: experiences. For me, I think in general, resilience is, um, it just starts with seeing a situation as it is. Um, sometimes that's hard to do. It takes a lot of (laughs) good work and maybe some good therapy. Um, but seeing a situation as it is, and then imagining and envisioning what God can do with it. Um, and what you, with God's help, can do with it. So I guess for me, this manifests in different ways, personally and professionally. Um, in my personal life, I think about um, resilience in the context of my legacy and how the, particularly the women before me have been resilient. My legacy includes stories of women who were overcomers. Um, They were immigrants who were homesteaders in the Midwest Plains and Mm -hmm. um, had to overcome difficulties. And uh, in my great-grandmother's case, great-great-grandmother's case, um, being a young widow with 10 children and an agricultural space and My great grandmother in a time when women were really not in leadership became an influential leader in her small community um, after her husband passed on. So I think as I think about what it means to be resilient in my own life, thinking about the stories of the women who came before me um, is always a really important piece.
0: Well, I love that because, you know, in this ministry, Women's Transformation and Leadership, that uh, is my day job, as I like to call it here in the Reformed Church in America. We talk often about the legacy of leadership, about the women that came before. And because we are a denomination that started back in the 1600s when Manhattan Island was not called New York, it was called New Amsterdam. We have a lot of significant history from those first um, women that came over, mostly from Northern Europe um, and traveled across from New York to the Midwest um, and were claimsteaders and such. And while we know that there's some challenging history that comes alongside that, we also wanna honor that those women did have to have quite a bit of resilience I mean I often think about that how on earth did they come from their places of origin you know cross uh crossover and and start to make a life here in a completely unknown land and thinking about how women were treated then and even the clothes that they had to wear were not ones that were hospitable um or conducive to them being able to um to survive and and much less thrive in that environment Mm -hmm. so i appreciate that you're bringing that up that really resonates uh for me and the work that we do and we celebrate all women Mm -hmm. and and i also appreciate jill let me just name this that you know, in the United States, we often, you know, out with the old and with the new, you've got to make it on your own. Some of those is you know, some of those are the kind of sayings that we think about um in mm-hmm. our Western culture. And I think we do need to remember where we've come from and who the people are that that kind of created and paved the way for us to be where we are today. And I think especially as women. So yeah. I really appreciate that. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, did you want to say anything more about it
1: now that I've said all that? No, I think, you know, all the things that you said were so true. And I I think about, you know, as difficult as I think a day might be to get through if I'm facing a challenge or something has happened, um, it really is pretty easy in light of what they had to do, right? So those are the things that make me, you know, kind of pull up the big girl pants and say, come on, Jill, you can do this. So. For, for whatever that's worth but you know also um yeah with that comes responsibility too um to think about the whole story of that not only their resilience but you know who were some of the peripheral people around them that also needed to be resilient in those moments too the idea that i have a responsibility to learn about how it is that my ancestors were able to homestead um and move freely between their agricultural world and an industrial world when that time came without much barrier and um, all of those things leading to where I am now and the benefit I have from generational wealth and experience and that kind of thing. So yeah, I think they were incredibly resilient and I am proud to come from women who were that strong um, and and sort of taught that into their daughters and their granddaughters and the same ways that I hope I'm doing um, with my daughters and granddaughters, but it also comes with a responsibility of knowing. And so I, I hope that I bring that into whatever ways that I can either empower others to be resilient or utilize it myself.
0: Yeah, that's great, Jill. And I so appreciate that, you know, in our world today where we are really starting to peel back the layers of injustice and starting to confront some of the s- systems of systemic oppression and, um, and really working on dismantling racism, right? I mean, that's mm-hmm. really become something in our denomination, the reformed church in America, and certainly in across the United States. Um, and I really appreciate that you're naming that. I think yeah. it's important that we know, right? That we're that we're yeah. claiming it as part of our our present and our future. Mm-hmm. And um, and so to that end, I'm wondering if you can kind of drill down on sharing, like, share a story of resilience and overcoming yeah. um, from your own life.
1: Yeah. Um, so. Again, I think about it in in kind of the two different contexts, my personal life and then also professional life, because they've sort of, one has built off the other. There are things that have happened in my professional life that I'm not sure would have happened if some of the circumstances in my personal life hadn't worked out the way that they did. And so even though those were difficult, I'm really grateful for them in a lot of ways. But um, so personally, probably the biggest experience that required resilience was the end of, a almost three decade long marriage that happened quite unexpectedly. Um, and then a year later I was diagnosed with breast cancer. And so those two things on top of each other um, just had a lot of impact in my life, obviously. And um, they were so close together in some ways Um, It was kind of funny, and I suppose that's also sometimes where resilience comes from is being able to see the ridiculous in things. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So I I remember I started writing a series of reflections during that time um, around the funny things about divorce and cancer, which was probably just a way of coping, but um, highlighted some of the, you know, again, the ridiculous things that happen in the midst of really hard stuff. Um that are easy, are easy to look past, um, but if you can just, I guess take the, take time to observe your life as it's happening in ways that take you kind of out from the middle of it, out from the fray. Um, it, I think for me in those moments, I, it allowed me to just see the moments that were just life. And sometimes they were tragic and sometimes they were funny and sometimes they were sad and sometimes they were ironic. And um, being able to see those types of things in whatever it is that you're dealing with that's difficult, I think is important. It allows for adaptability and maybe a, a shift in the facet toward a different mindset.
0: That's so good. So that I'm just thinking about like in the unconscious bias world, teaching um, how to undo unconscious bias, right? Mm -hmm. We talk about perspective taking and how important that is. And that really, I I had not thought about it through this lens before. And I just love that idea Mm -hmm. of being able to take that perspective, right, to step outside of yourself, just sort of helps also kind of Take a, a breath, still a little bit, right? <laughs> because it's like being the protagonist all the time. <laughs> it's really it takes a lot out of people. So if you kind of step back and yeah. observe life, as you said, that's great. And so I tell us a little bo- bit more about um, being a writer. That's so so interesting.
1: Yeah, um, I've always written, and I think that's also something that's been really helpful. I've always journaled. I guess I should say I don't know that I would have called myself a writer before the last few years. Um, but I always journaled. And so another, another part of that practice is being able to look back, right. And just seeing where God was so faithful, the things that we sort of forget the stones that we build upon that we kind of forget are there. Um, so the cash, I think from the time I was probably in my early twenties, I would, that's how I would sort of process problems is I would, write them down. And I would imagine what, you know, what it looks like and then how it could be different. And Mm -hmm. sometimes I used my journaling to, um, vent all the things I wanted to say that probably shouldn't actually come out of my mouth. Um, and very wise. (laughs) I have a dear friend who say, who once told me there's a, uh, unexpressed thoughts are perfectly good things. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, no, there a not. note of that. Thank you. <laughs> um, I don't always agree with that, but I think there are things that that fall within that range. But um yeah, so the writing kind of came out of the love of journaling and the love of just really looking at situations r- realistically and exploring thoughts and feelings, noticing things. Um kind of like, you know, I think when we look at scripture and sometimes assume what we think it says, and every now and then we'll take a moment to just really sit with it and notice things we've never noticed before. Um, So that's what journaling allowed me to do and helped me to see as far as circumstances in my life, or I have from the time of the you know, the early months after my divorce, I have a series of journals that I just call the ugly journals, and they're buried far, far, far away, um, with instructions for close friends to be able to get rid of them <laughs> at some point. But they were they were really helpful, and I think also even even those show God's faithfulness throughout the difficulties that we encounter. The things that I tend to forget about as time goes on and things get better but yeah that's so important too because I just think about
0: so much of our culture focuses on you know kind of the positive the shiny right everything's great everything's fine mm-hmm. you know and especially with social media it's such a mm-hmm. tendency towards sort of composing this kind of perf sort of mm-hmm. image of perfection and there's this other side. And then, you know, sometimes we do the either or it's like either everything is disaster, or it's everything is great and perfect. And so how do we how do we especially as faith leaders, right? How do we encourage people to live in that liminal space, what I call Mm -hmm. the both hand space, where you have the joys and the challenges, Mm -hmm. the victories and the battles or um, the struggles. And then how do we see how God works through those times that are so difficult and challenging to bring us towards that more hopeful, you know, season where then we can, you know, taste and see that it's good. And it's that reminder of God's yeah. faithfulness in those more difficult times. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I think being able to look back and and see how God had brought me through other things, allowed me to sort of sit with the difficulty of those years of a marriage ending and a single life beginning mm-hmm. um, launching daughters off into their adult lives um, dealing with breast cancer at the same time my mom was dealing with cancer as well and so there was just a lot of a lot of stuff there, right and um, being able to revisit, some of the things that God had brought me through allowed me to imagine what I wanted emerging from all of this to look like, because we know it, we know, you know, we, we walk through it and there will be another, there will be the other side at some point. And what did I want that to look like and how, what did I learn from past scenarios that I could bring into this one to allow um, for a time to look back on this and be really proud of the way that I moved through it and the way that our family moved through it and how we emerged.
0: It's like an intentionality.
1: Yeah, Does
0: yes, that word resonate of like kind of intention, like having intentionality. Yeah. On it? it feels like a practice, really, of going back, looking at, you know, previous circumstances to be able to build on what you want the present and future to look like.
1: Mm -hmm. I, I, um, I think because I had looked back on the generations before me enough, and I knew my grandmother really well and, and some of the difficult things that she went through, I was just able to pull out the things that I really admired about the other women in my life and the ways that they had navigated difficulties. I appreciate the encouragement to be vulnerable and honest with ourselves and to look at our feelings and to process all of those things in ways that are healthy. I also have a little bit of appreciation for sort of the stoicism of generations that came before. Um, It wasn't always healthy stoicism, (laughs) but being able to hold that space, um yeah, between the perfect image and the um the hot mess that's behind the scenes. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: That's really great. I, I love that the vulnerability and honesty sort of partnered with stoicism and acknowledging that there are times when it is helpful because it does help you. I mean, it is kind of a, a practice for overcoming, right? It's like we got to get this together and yeah, keep forging ahead. Yeah. Head. yeah that's really true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So then how did the, this journaling and all that value that you found there, then how did that segue into now actual writing? I know that you're, you teach writing and you're a contributor, a regular contributor to uh, Red Tent Living mm-hmm. and I'm sure other places too that you contribute. So how did that sort of that, what what was that process? Because it seems like it was born out of quite a bit of from your own personal, you know, writings about your mm-hmm. own personal life.
1: Mm-hmm. It started a few years ago. I think my reference to um, writing the reflections on the funny things about divorce and cancer, um, it was really a helpful way for me to process some of that. There are just things that you never imagine are going to materialize in either one of those that, you know, at the end of the day, you go, huh, <laughs> I never expected that. Um, and so writing about those things and finding sort of the tragedy and the humor in it at the same time. I mean, acknowledging the fact that this is hard and um, it's not the way life is supposed to be, but it is the way that life is. And this is one This is one thing that was just kind of funny today that happened um, or ironic or um, just noticeable in a way that I didn't expect. Unexpected, so I started writing down some of those stories and sharing them with a small group who just really encouraged that I I write more and I think about what else might be interesting for people to read or helpful, and I think that's sort of where it emerged from. And um, I think the ability to notice some of the things in life that um, are hard, but also redeemable or, you know, not easy to work through, but there are options, that kind of thing. So so those are some of the things that I tend to write about more often than others. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember a particular reflection I wrote during COVID. I was participating in a writer's workshop and uh, the prompt was, I am afraid. And Mm -hmm. it was in the early weeks, I don't know, probably June And I just remember writing the first thing that came to my head was I am afraid I will disappear. Um, you know, and just thinking about being a single person living alone, not knowing how long this is going to Mm -hmm. last. And it was just a thought that came and it was like, Whoa, (laughs) that's kind of, that's an interesting thought. And I wanted to explore that more. And the reflection that came out of it seemed to be really meaningful for a lot of people. Um, Because it it just named something that was real in my life. And I think everybody was feeling a little bit of that. Mm -hmm. How how can I be seen right now? I can't leave my house, really. I can't go anywhere. How can I be seen right now? Mm -hmm. So those are sort of the ways that that has kind of come out.
0: Yeah, that's beautiful. And, you know, I, I love that idea because for those of us that are artists in some way, right? Writer, performers, etc., cetera, mm-hmm. you know, how, what is that creative expression? We talk about life imitating art and vice versa, but how, how do we use that sort of expression, the way to express ourselves that God has planted in us, right? It's a gifting to mm-hmm. then be able to um, share with others and inspire others. And so I'm just thinking, I'm remembering, Jill, because we are friends on Facebook, I remember your kind of uh, photo blog almost of your garden, of your backyard. Yeah. And it was so beautiful. Like you were like, where, well, how could you, how can you be seen? And it was just, it was light. It was, you know, kind of fresh and, you know, something nice to be sort of tracking with, but you just were sharing this, here's my garden. And <laughs> it was so, you know, and you'd hang out back there and you had your, you know, your set up, your chair, yep. your the books. And, yeah. yes. and, and that was, you know that was really a beautiful way and it was authentic right you were sharing that it mm-hmm. was out of a space if you were alone mm-hmm. and um but yet you were inviting others to kind of feel that they're not so alone right because that's okay. a shared experience so I can imagine that your writing must be an even more a deeper dive as they say yeah. uh, into that kind of uh, ability to connect with people and and hit on something right there's commonality there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so beautiful. So it, you know, you um, you got a master's degree not so I did. very long ago, I did. and so I'm wondering how that all ties into all of this um, yeah. life situation so, that
1: you're talking about. I started working at the seminary, and I was working in admissions, and um, my background had been marketing and sort of connecting the dots between you know what a client needs and what is available, and how do you do that. And so, the idea of uh, you know discerning seminary a seminary experience or theological education with somebody who's thinking about going into ministries that was sort of a natural fit. but then i I decided I really should have some experience with what a seminary course is actually like. so, so I took very smart. <laughs> I took one course and then realized, I remember walking out of the first one and thinking, even though I have taught classes, even though I have led studies, even though I have written, there is, I don't even know what I don't know. There's so much I don't know. And so one class led to eight and that led to a degree at some point. And I was working full time, traveling a lot for the seminary. So I could only really take one class at a time. So it took forever. But I just kept plugging away. And, um, and it was during the time that I was going through my transition from being married to being single, from having kids at home to being an empty nester. Um, and it really filled that space in a way that also allowed for a lot a lot of growth and a lot of reflection um, and led me to the space that I am now. So, you know, often I say to particularly younger students who aren't sure if they're making the right decision about their life, I can speak to the experience of mine and just say, nothing's wasted, you know, if you start something, who knows what it will lead to, or you'll be directed to something else or, or, or. So, you know, if we talk about that in light of resilience, that's also a reality of it. You know, we don't, I mean, certainly we can make mistakes, I suppose. But um, when it comes to the things that we're learning about in our lives, as long as it's moving us forward or moving us in some way, we get to build on it, and um, nothing's wasted. I
0: was going to ask you, like, what advice would you have? I know you speak a lot to. Well, you you actually there at the seminary. You have a, yeah, you have different kinds of programs, right? So you have some yes. programs that would be maybe perhaps for second career people like mm-hmm. you were, um, mm-hmm. and then you also have for younger folks. But I was thinking, I guess, through. You, you were just naming part of what you help people discern when they're coming. But like, what would you tell somebody that was just feeling like I need more equipping or I need to study more or mm-hmm. what have you? Like, What what would be some advice for them to help them with that
1: process? You mean as far as would, would something like a master's degree or something be helpful for them? Yeah, or? like if
0: they're just thinking to do this, kind of taking the plunge. I mean, you've talked about yeah. it a little bit, but just thinking about it through that lens of, you know, like, nothing's wasted yeah having hope and then you know kind of the the idea of like overcoming the obstacles to get there that type of Mm -hmm. stuff like what advice would you have and I I do think I mean you know guys we always include the men with us (laughs) (laughs) both and men and women all God's children together whoever we may be but I do think for women sometimes you know um we do we do sometimes think we can't do something because we're doing some you know Mm -hmm. that's not what we're supposed to do Mm -hmm. So sometimes there's some barriers there that we have to kind of bust through even we have to overcome.
1: Yeah. So I would, I would say probably to um, either a young woman or another woman who was in a similar situation um, to really pay attention to what it is that you enjoy. I mean, what are the things that sort of bring you life? And if learning is one of those things, if reading, um and it it could be a theological or biblical studies degree or it could be something else right it's where if you're going to do something like that if you're going to learn if you're going to grow make it sure it's in a space that you enjoy obviously um when we live into the ways that God has gifted us we typically enjoy what it is that we're learning and um that allows us to sort of move through those spaces in ways that are maybe a little easier than if I had tried to go be a, a neuroscientist. Um, I find it fascinating, but it's not really the way my brain works. <laughs> and it would have been a lot, the difficulty of it would have gotten in the way of the enjoyment of it, probably for me. Um, so finding the thing that seems most interesting to you um, And just dipping your toe in it at first, if you're not sure. Um, And then when you bump up against what seems like a barrier to it, always um, communicate that, you know, communicate the barrier. Maybe it's something that can easily be removed um, or, or worked around somehow. Is that helpful does that answer your question yes that's beautiful and just
0: that thing of dipping the toe in the water right so mm-hmm. often we think like we got to have the whole plan all figured out mm-hmm. and just having that opportunity to experiment a little bit explore it yeah I think that's so beautiful sometimes we just get locked into like if you're gonna you can't do it unless you're gonna yeah. like the whole thing and yeah. then just feel exhausting yep. especially if you're not quite sure so yeah that's a beautiful opportunity
1: and i think in women's lives there are so many things that we're responsible for men men are too i'm not i'm not think, indicating that men are not but women um, at least the women i talk with especially if they're you know anywhere past 30 or 35 you've got family that you're responsible for either your own or parents or other people that are in your lives and You're working and you're doing all kinds of things and it's hard to imagine adding one more thing. Yeah. So I think starting small is always a really good way to imagine if this could be for you. Mm, That's beautiful. Great
0: advice from our director of admissions. That's (laughs) great. Thank you. Um, So just uh, coming back to our conversation around um, hope, I'm just wondering, Mm -hmm. um, do you have any favorite verses or quotes? We always like to ask our guests um, that you use to help ground you in embracing hope and being resilient?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, when I was going through um, that season of life transition and illness and uh, my mother's illness, there's in Psalm 27 was always my go-to, I think, Psalm reflection, prayer, Um cheer leading chant the whole thing so the first verse is you know the lord is my light and salvation Mm -hmm. whom shall i fear the lord is the stronghold of my life of whom shall i be afraid Um, i think that was my mantra for weeks every Mm -hmm. time that fear would would wedge its way in which was pretty constant um just realizing god has me God is my stronghold that can't be taken from me. And I can deal with whatever else is taken from me as long as God is my stronghold. Mm -hmm. And then at the end of that Psalm um, is the, um, the verse that talks about the hope, right? So um, I know that I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, so mm-hmm. that is that was the other side of that right it and and then the stuff that happened in between um was where god was present with me and you know th- with all of the beautiful people that were put in place and other processes and things that helped me emerge from that so psalm 27 was it it still is um there's obviously in scripture so many good things um in ways that we're encouraged. And we know that God is with us, but that was the one that really helped me during those times. That's wonderful. I can imagine too, for your daughters,
0: that that was important. I was just thinking as you were talking about you, you know, they talk about us as the sandwich generation, right? Mm -hmm. That we've got the parents on one side and then the children on the other. And we think about that sometimes in a more traditional way. The kids are in school or just starting their families and then the parents are aging. But in your situation, you had all of this going on with you personally. And then you had these two daughters that were also just moving out mm-hmm. into their, the beginning of their lives. I'm just
1: wondering if you can maybe reflect a little bit on that, if you don't mind. We have a really lovely relationship. Um, they had, you know, tons of promise of their own. So it, it was really fun to encourage them. Um, they kind of knew what it was that they wanted, and um, both of them are um, go getters. So mm-hmm. <laughs> they sort of had that piece all managed. Uh, so for me, it was just fun to encourage them and to be able to sort of, you know, nudge them well as they and and get and help them. Start well. Um, they've since both gotten married and become mothers, and um, I think that's one of the things—the sources of hope too. This generation that is coming into full adulthood and leadership in our—they're amazing. Mm. Um, they really are. And every generation that's coming after them, there's just so much awareness and wisdom and presence in a way that I don't remember having when I was that age. So when I think about how I guide and, and encourage or mentor them, I sort of feel like in many ways they mentor me, mm. um, which is where so much of ho- the hope for the future comes for me too. Not just but, from them, but for so many young people.
0: Well, Jill, that's such a beautiful story because in so many places right now, we're not hearing that. That's not what's being shared, right? It's like this generation is so encumbered, and then they're all into the technology, and so you know they're not sort of expanding their minds or their bodies correctly because mm-hmm. they're just in front of technology, and it's so you know information, you know, there is, everything's just information so quickly, and all of these types. There's a lot of commentary out there about that. So talking about, I mean, just thinking about hope, yeah, just what you just said is so hopeful, and so. I just hope our listeners are taking that on advisement that you know here is this director of admissions in a seminary who like talks to young people for a living. Yeah. <laughs> um, so like, you your finger has to be on the pulse of what's happening um with the these uh, you know up and coming generations.
1: Well, it's it's, it's on the pulse of a a subset of it, right? So that's mm-hmm. I think what it, but but I I see it and I feel it. So I think the way that they will be impacting the world is, I'm just really excited to see what happens. I think, you know, the, the church is going to be a different place, Mm -hmm. um, through their leadership, I think in really exciting ways. Um, and that's part of, that's part of our resilience and growth too, right? It's just knowing that every generation, um, gets to lead in the way that culture is, is requiring and it may look different. And that's kind of exciting. Yeah, that's great. That's
0: beautiful. So my last question for you, how are you cultivating hope today? (laughs) Mm.
1: Well, I think, you know, first and foremost, I find hope in the fact that in all the things we do, um, God has already through Christ done the work of redeeming.
0: Mm.
1: And we're, we're in that space in between in some ways. But in some ways, we get to look forward with hope to the ways that this will all be eventually redeemed and also participate in that work ourselves, make sure that we're doing that. And then, as I said, I find hope in the generations that are emerging, the young leaders that are coming um, to the forefront, the second career leaders that are moving into the next season of their lives in ways that they never imagined they could, particularly the women that I get to encounter all the time. Yeah, there's just a lot of bravery and courage and wisdom and awareness, I think, in the people that I meet. And so that's really, really hopeful to me. Um, I think God is doing something significant with emerging generations. Uh, I'm sure you see it in your daughters as well. Mm -hmm. Um, The church and the world are gonna change and that is just the way it is gonna be, I think, and it's good. I think they have what it takes to bring us forward. And that's really hopeful to me. That's beautiful. Yeah. That's beautiful.
0: So just
1: finally, um, any
0: projects, anything that you're working on that you want to share with our listeners or want to tell us a little bit more about?
1: Well, I mean, my work at the seminary is really important um, to me. That's a big part of my life at this point. So... Um, and see your passion it's yeah good. it is and then it's calling um, right it's a calling <laughs> it is um, mentoring people as they're sort of emerging into whatever next phase of their life is is something I enjoy I'm working this summer on a uh, project with Red Tent Living um, that it's a writing confessional so I'll be one of the instructors for that particular confessional um, I'm really looking forward to that and And, just engaging some variety of projects. Um, I mean some a couple of long-term workshops that are hopefully designed to end with a project that is moving toward somebody other than me and six other people looking at it. So we'll see what that looks like. But oh, and then yeah. yeah, I also get to be a grandma right now, and that's so much fun. That's a pretty big project. (laughs) (laughs) It
0: sure is. Well, that's beautiful. Well, Jill, thank you so much for sharing some of your story with us today and for, I mean, just some wonderful tools and tips and strategies for building resilience, um, embracing opportunities to overcome and certainly to finding hope. So thanks so much for joining us
1: here at Lavish Hope today. Thank you, Liz. This has been so fun. I really appreciate the opportunity. Great. Take good care now. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Thanks so much for listening. I hope this episode has brought you one step closer to exploring what lavish hope, resilience, and overcoming mean to you in your own life. You can learn more about Jill's work at the seminary at westernsem.edu and read some of her essays by heading over to redtentliving.com and searching under Jill English. If you enjoyed this Lavish Hope podcast, please subscribe, leave me a comment, and reshare anywhere you're on social. You can also connect with me directly at ltesta at rca.org. This episode is brought to you by faithword.org, an online learning community where you'll find ideas for living out your faith, reflections on Scripture and Church, stories about how other Christians are following God's call, and resources to bring your own church or organization along for the ride. The Lavish Hope Podcast is produced by Anna Radcliffe with assistant production by Lorraine Parker, sound design by Garrett Steyer, and web support by Grace Reuter and Barb Ellis.